You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Charles Hamaker and Bell Garcia joining you as always for, I mean, it's not that crazy of a week, but still, uh, Saturday was busy. We had three pro sporting events on Saturday. Uh, yeah, three of them going on uh, with what the Sounders, the, the Kraken, Kraken, and the Mariners. Oh, four, pardon me, and the Seawolves were playing that day, oh, too. They played early. Yeah. But those those three that Bill that we first went over uh, were all happening around the same exact time. The Seawolves mm-hmm. played earlier in the day uh, with the 3 o'clock match start. So with that being said, we've got our a slate, as always, to get to you. Uh, trying some new things out this week. We've got Seattle Star of the Week uh, officially being integrated um, into the show. So we'll get into that next exciting. That'll be the final segment of the show today. With that being said, we'll jump right into our Seattle Seahawks news. Um, and Bill will take that away for us. Yeah, we have a couple of things on the Seahawks front this week. Um, the Hawks are picking up tight end Noah Fant's fifth-year option. So Fant becomes the first player from the 2019 draft class to have his fifth-year option picked up. On April 14th, uh, Seattle announced that they would be resigning Geno Smith. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we can just, we can just cut it. At, yeah. And now, all right, and we will head over to the Seahawks segment, and Bell Garcia will take us away with it. So, Bell, what do we got this week? We got a couple of things here for the Seahawks. Um, the Seahawks are picking up Noah Fant's fifth-year option, so Fant becomes the first player from the 2019 draft class to have his fifth-year option picked up. Also announced on April 14th, um, Seattle would be resigning Geno Smith. He will receive a one-year um, contract worth up to seven million dollars. And Baker Mayfield stated on a podcast that Seattle would be his most logical destination. He um, stated so on the You Never Know podcast, also says that he is looking for stabilization. Um, Is that something that you think Seattle could offer Baker Mayfield? No, no, (laughs) no. Uh, I mean, especially with what we just looked at, right, with with uh, Geno Smith here. I mean, obviously you look at the numbers. I mean, it's like 735 yards passing, mm-hmm. five touchdowns and interception over the last two seasons. Obviously being more of a backup with Russell Wilson around. But, you know, with Drew Locke in the, in the fold, right? And it's kind of becoming, it seems more likely that he will be the option that Seattle sticks with going forward. It seems yeah. like they really believe in him. And Bell and I will look at that as the season progresses, right? Um, but I mean, we'll get to it with our first round mock picks here in a second, but it really seems like Seattle is sticking in with who they've got in their quarterback room, you know, mostly Drew Locke and Geno Smith. They've also maybe throw Jacob Beeson into the fold considering he's still on the roster. Uh, I really, it, it's funny that he said that it's like, Oh, Seattle seems like the most logical, uh, op- option. You know, I don't really imagine Seattle wants to pay his asking price or what, Cleveland might be asking mm-hmm. for him, um, let alone giving him stability, right? I don't think you're going to be in a competition either way, you know, with Locke and Smith, you know, already on the roster, yeah. you know, and, and considering they just signed Smith to that deal, I think it like baseline, it's 3.5 million to four, and then it could go up to that seven uh, with incentives. I'm sure playing time, you know, statistics wise. Um, 
no, I don't think I don't think he's going to get any stability here if that were to happen. And I don't really think it's going to happen. I think he's trying to speak things into existence now because it feels like he kind of has nowhere to go at this point. So I think he's just kind of hoping something will stick and he finds a fit here. But I don't think that's the Seahawks. And like you said, I don't think that's who they're looking for. Um, but as you mentioned, our mock first round picks, here are a couple of options that we think the Seahawks are looking at. So you want to go ahead and start with yours? So, yeah, I mean, you know, that as we've continued since the Russell Wilson is broke, right, it's, mm-hmm. I've kind of been sticking with this idea, this hope of Malik Willis. I, I, I steered out of that direction in this because solely, you know, you hear that with these, these, weeks heading up to the draft and even as we get closer to the actual days heading to the draft it seems like some of these quarterbacks might sneak up higher than they initially were looked at i know that it was talked about that this is one of the lower draft classes for a quarterback in nfl history um but teams that need a quarterback teams that are desperate for a franchise guy are going to sometimes reach you know like i believe i think the bears traded in the really high. I think they traded in the third or something for Mitch Trubisky mm-hmm. and that didn't necessarily work out for them, you know, for a franchise option. Um, you know, Trey Lance, how is he going to go, you know, with, with San Francisco going up there for him? Obviously that's more, uh, there's more time for him. Yeah. Right. But you know, you see what I mean? There are a lot of times where teams will reach for items where, for players that probably they don't need to reach for. So, you know, sticking with that, I'm, I'm assuming that Malik Willis might be grabbed by someone earlier on. And I'm thinking that with what we talked at, what I was mentioning about how it seems like Seattle was going to stick with Drew Locke and kind yeah. of hang in there with that. Um, I personally, I mean, we both went in the same position group, but I went with Evan Neal out of Alabama, uh, six foot seven. So it's huge. Six foot seven, 340 pounds. I mean, and this wow. is the thing too. We, Dwayne Brown hasn't signed and Brandon Shell hasn't signed. Right. So those guys are both free agents. So you're still looking at two tackles. I know last year you drafted Stone Forsythe, but there's no uh, indication that he's ready to go. Right. Uh, he had a 95 out of 100 overall rating by NFL.com mm-hmm. and was listed in their grading system as a year one starter. So that's instant, instant production, not like a Forsythe who might take a few years. I don't even know what his track to the roster is right now. Cause I know he was a big guy. I mean, his name's stone. So people thought that was cool. Um, but I mean, with Brown still not signed and uh, shell not signed, you're kind of bare. I know that Jake Curhan, who was mm-hmm. drafted as a guard out of Cal, I believe played some right tackle. So maybe they're looking at him. He could be a cheaper option. He seemed to do well down the stretch when he played. Uh, so maybe they have him an outside tackle, one of the offside, offensive tackle, and then you get Neil or who you're looking at, yeah. and then you've got your tackle. So you're looking at a younger tackle group. Um, and it, it would be funny though, to draft someone that high, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, when Russell was gone as a paired to that, uh, when he was here. So, uh, you went a different route with a guy did. that I share a name with. So what are you, <laughs> what were you looking at here with, uh, Charles Cross? Um, Charles Cross from Mississippi state. He's six, four, 306 pounds, and he is 21 years old. So he's still developing and could potentially just grow into a good offensive tackle. Really? Um, and <laughs> what? literally, did you say like literally grow. <laughs> well, I mean, as far as his skills, <laughs> um, he's only 21. So he has room for growth. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just think that, like you said, we're not looking at a quarterback. Um, I know that I saw some options for like a corner. I don't think we need a corner right now. So 
I'm sticking with offensive tackle because I think that he would add something to that line. And it, I mean, it is interesting, you know, in, in recent years, you know, the kind of prototypes and molds that we've seen, you know, from this organization have kind of changed, right? Like we were talking about, like you mentioned with the cornerback spot, I think with who they've signed and how many guys they've brought mm-hmm. in, I think they're done with corner. Yeah. And uh, do I, I like that? Not necessarily, but you and I aren't in those chairs, right? We're in these chairs, <laughs> different chairs. Um, chairs. And so, you know, the, the molds of having a big lanky corner, or even like we go back to bringing in Trey Flowers, who is a safety, tall, lanky guy, and they try to make him a cornerback. Yeah. It's not what they're doing anymore. You know, you saw that break with when DJ Reed became a starter, you know. Um, I know that I think one of the last offensive linemen that we drafted that high was Russell Okun back in the day, back in the day, it was like 2011 <laughs> or 12. Um, and he was an offensive tackle. You know, you pair one of those guys, you've got a decently younger line relatively. I mean, uh, shoot, I'm forgetting his name. Gabe Lewis was drafted a few years ago, and he's still at those one of those guard spots. Uh, Arson Blythe isn't that old, and he's at center. Gabe Jackson's a little bit older at the other guard spot. Jake Curran, you know, if he were to be at the other tackle spot, mm-hmm. would be a younger option. So a uh, younger option, but still talented. And like you were saying with cross still sort of developing. So yeah, I'm, I, that's where we're imagining it. I mean, I, I know the draft is, uh, let End me of see the month here. Yeah. Next, next, next week. So we'll have another, we can look at uh, picks again here. Uh, maybe play that out again, but, uh, I, I'm also interested. I didn't necessarily want to do a full mock because of how often this team trades out of these picks mm-hmm. like that. Number nine pick potentially could be flipped to be, more picks in the first round. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm really interested to see one, if they actually stay put at number nine and actually select somebody there, or if they're able to flip out again, like they did. I remember, I think it was the 2014 draft, the one right after the Super Bowl. Um, They had a draft party at the Wamu theater and the Seahawks had, what was it? 32nd pick. So we had to wait the entire draft um, up until our pick. And then they, what do they do right at the end? They Try. waited till the final second of the clock and they traded out of it to Minnesota, who I think, uh, I forgot who Minnesota took. I think it was, I don't know if it was Bridgewater. No. Ooh, they took some, Minnesota took somebody. Uh, I think it was a quarterback. Um, but long story short. Yeah. Seahawks draft, uh, the draft, it's really an interesting place. And so I'm, I think sticking with offensive tackle might be the safest bet. So we'll see, but also a lot going on outside of the Seahawks in the NFL. Yes. So what, uh, what, what all do you have sort of the rabbit hole to take us? I'll on? start here with April 12th and things seem to keep getting worse for the Washington commanders. Uh, Congress says that the commander commanders executives and owner Daniel, Daniel Schneider were hiding revenue from the NFL for over a decade. So things not getting better there. I know we mentioned that something's got to change. So hopefully they figure that out. Um, On the 13th, it was announced that the Raiders and Derek Carr reached an extension agreement. Um, Derek Carr would be extended to to three years, 121.5 million contract and joins an elite group there for the above, I think, 120. Oh, yeah. Jeez. (laughs) Yeah. So... Of course, with uh, Devontae joining the team and Carr being a big part of that, it was kind of easy to predict this happening. Mm-hmm. But on the 14th, also Cardinals QB Kyler Murray not said that he would not be playing without a 
contract extension. So he, we know he's been looking for that and he hasn't received that. I don't even think there's been conversations with him about extending him. So he's, yeah, he's decided that he will not play if that does not happen. Um, That's just been an interesting (laughs) tenure with the Cardinals, right? Because I remember Josh Rosen was there for, I think, a year with Arizona and then Kingsbury comes in and I think they said, no, we're not drafting a quarterback number one overall. Yeah. And then they'd take Kyler Murray and then Rosen's out. And in those years that Kingsbury has been coach, you see these, uh, you know, hot starts, right? Nearly half of the season. And then the Cardinals plummet. Um, and then there was this thing, I think we saw it earlier in the off season with deleting all the posts yeah, and just all the drama of that. So Arizona is, I mean, they've got a talented roster. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, you know, we, we, even with this franchise that we're covering, right. It starts with the quarterback and that's mm-hmm. something that we're still kind of looking to see to figure out. And if you, you lose a guy like Murray, who's don't get me wrong, he's talented. He's he had his flaws, but he's really talented. I think you have to go back to the drawing board and you took him with a high, 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 high pick, you know, and it's kind of, I think kind of him and Kingsbury, if one of them leaves, I think Kingsbury is out of there. So that's, that's an interesting situation to sort of follow and see. Maybe he gets a record deal, right? You just talked about Carr. Maybe we see, maybe he's trying to leverage, but it it is kind of interesting to follow how that, the the dramatics of yeah. the Cardinals situation. It has been since I believe the end of the season that he's requested that extension. And so the talks not even being there is kind of concerning, but we'll see what happens with Kyler and the Cardinals. Um, moving on here, Brady's auction last ball, the sale has been voided. Um, of course he unretired. So, and the ball sold for 518,000 and that was his last touchdown ball. Yeah. Yeah. Last, yep. so, So that's been voided (laughs) um, for good reason. Um, And also 21 players will attend the NFL draft in Las Vegas. Is that next year's draft? No, this year's draft. This year's draft? Yeah. So it's just only 20 of them, you know, because they'll show the guys who go up and they hold the jerseys up. I guess only 21 of them will be there in attendance and only two quarterbacks, Malik Willis and Matt Coral. So not Kenny Pickett, not Desmond Ritter. Um, Only those two will be um, in attendance for the draft there. A bunch of them opted to stay home. Okay. Um, but kind of interesting, you know, to see who, who got invited, who didn't, I believe Trent McDuffie, McDuffie out of Washington, the cornerback did. Um, and he's not exactly expected to be a first round pick, but, uh, uh, but it is interesting to kind of, I guess, see who gets invited to these things and who doesn't like yeah. with the WNBA draft last Monday that happened right after we got finished recording the episode. Um, for the first round, they only invited 12 players and not all 12. Well, because that's who they expected to be drafted in the first, in the first round, round yeah. and not all of them did. It was kind of like, ooh, so you're showing these guys, these yeah. these women, and it's kind of awkward. It was like that 2014 draft party I was talking about just a minute ago. They kept showing Johnny Manziel's face because they everyone mm-hmm. you know, it was Johnny Manziel Johnny and thought he would go higher. And his face kept getting redder because he wasn't getting picked in the first round. It was a funny situation to happen, but yeah, interesting to see who gets invited to some of these events. Definitely. Um, That was actually my next question is how they decided what players would be in attendance. So that's interesting. Um, On April 15th, Debo Samuel went onto Instagram to post a video um, just bringing attention to the fact that he's receiving death threats and racist messages uh, following the story. I believe this has to do with the possibility of him leaving the 49ers. Um, he 
did delete several pictures, I believe, of him in the in the uniform and kind of similar to the Kyler situation, just kind of abandoned the following of the team and removed some images. So, of course, now he's uh, getting death threats from unhappy people. And you never want to hear this because, of course, they're just they're as much human as we are. And so not OK. Um, on April 16th, the Carolina Panthers were favored to land Mayfield. Carolina has inside track amongst teams that are interested in the Browns quarterback. And someone wasn't very happy to hear that. (laughs) Wide receiver Robbie Anderson commented no (laughs) to an Instagram post about a potential of Mayfield to Carolina. Um, Also on the 16th, Trey Lance believes that he'll be the starter in San Francisco. Lance has gotten indications that he'll be the guy next year amid Jimmy Garoppolo trade buzz. And of course, I think we've heard that Jimmy is actually injured. And was that a surgery thing? I think it was. So um, looking forward to see who starts as quarterback for the 49ers next season. And all we have looking ahead for the Seahawks here is the draft, as mentioned, on the 28th through the 30th. So we'll go ahead and move on to our Seattle Mariners now. So with that being said, I mean, obviously, just to take a quick look at that, everything that happened (laughs) in the NFL with Debo Samuel and then Trey Lance and all that, it's there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on, and it's just the off season. So, uh, it's, yeah, the draft will certainly be interesting as well. And we'll have another. I think we'll take another look at the draft uh, next Monday just to kind of prepare for that. But again, yeah. it's it's just such a wild card. You have no idea. You could, you know, with Pete Carroll saying that they're still in a win now mode, they could flip some of those picks. Maybe their second round picks, you know, for a starter at some other. So I. We'll have to take a look at that uh, once again when we get to it next week. But with that being said, the regular season continues for our Seattle Mariners, who uh, had a rough kind of ending to their road trip. So let's take a look at that. Um, hmm, what is this? Oh, yes. So the Mariners finished out their opening series against the Minnesota Twins uh, with a 0-4 to four loss. So a tough way to end the series against Minnesota there. Uh, no real player of the game. As you get shut out. Hard yeah. to really look at anything positive from that. So they head from Minnesota down to Chicago. And Chicago, those first two games were terribly rainy. I know we know about rain here in Seattle, but it was terrible there in Chicago. Head down to the Windy City. In the first game of the series on the 12th, the White Sox would win that game over the Mariners 3-2. to two. Player of the game designated hitter Eugenio Suarez uh, going for two, uh, two for four with a run and an RBI. On the 13th at the White Sox, uh, losing that game 4-6. to six. Play the game first baseman Ty France going one for four with a run and two RBIs. This was a game that the rain was just pouring down the first few innings, and it was it was the infield was like a swamp. And there was one point in the in the, the second inning where manager Scott Service looked over to the one of the umpires and said, "What are we doing? Why are we playing Why this we game?" Here, yeah. Robbie Ray couldn't properly land on his plant foot, and you're like, "Hey, you know, this is how people get injured." Mm-hmm. Luckily, we didn't see any of that um, from that game, but that was still concerning and kind of amazed that that was able to happen because it was also interesting to note too, you know, as a pitcher, you're going to probably play better when the ball's not getting knocked out of your hand by the the, the rain as opposed to when it is, right? And he played a lot better once it wasn't pouring. Of but course. by then the damage had been done. Chicago had put a, put a four spot up on the board. And you can see there, you know, you lose by two runs, plays an impact in that game. And unfortunate that that even 
we even have to mention that, right? Um, and then to close out the series, um, in the final game uh, in the Windy City on the 14th, the Mariners will win that game 5-1. to one. Two players of the game here, pitcher Logan Gilbert going five innings, four hits, one run. None of them are that one run wasn't earned, pardon me, uh, with four strikeouts. And then the other player, uh, right fielder Jared Kelnick going two for four with a run and two RBIs slamming a two-run homer that clanked off the right foul pole. So we head down there to home opening day uh, with a series against the Houston Astros starting on the 15th. Uh, that would be Jackie Robinson Day, the home opener for the Mariners, winning that game 11-1, to a real dismantling of Houston there. Two players of the game here, pitcher Marco Gonzalez, after having a rough first start out in Minnesota, went seven innings, uh, giving up only four hits, one run, that one run being earned and striking out six. Second player of the game, leadoff man, second baseman Adam Frazier, going four for five with two runs and four RBIs. Both of those guys who had kind of struggled a little bit out in Minnesota, uh, and even in Chicago, uh, Marco didn't play in Chicago, but Frazier, you know, as a leadoff guy, kind of struggled. Some unlucky at bats, had an error here um, in that Minnesota, that second Minnesota game. But, I mean, you see there, two, four for five from the leadoff spot is pretty good. You know, you set up the rest of the lineup for success. Marco goes seven innings against the Houston team that for years has been really successful. Really good bounce back start, really good game to, you know, obviously open up uh, as a home opener for the fans. Um, you know, Jackie Robinson Day. Uh, Ichiro would be on hand to throw the ceremonial first pitch uh, to Julio Rodriguez, uh, two guys that had been well documented as, you know, kind of being friends, mm -hmm. you know, since Julio's call up and through spring training. So here's the backstory for this. I don't know if you're going to be able to see this when I put it on the, the screen here, but there's the patch. Ichiro is wearing his 2001 uniform, yep. his full uniform, and he threw the fastest cer ceremonial first pitch ever at 84.5 miles per hour. So full windup, full uniform and everything, Ichiro continues to be himself. And it was really incredible to see that. Um, I didn't even think about it, that it had gone that fast, but it's Ichiro and that was really cool to see. Um, so continuing with the scores here on the 16th versus the Astros, unfortunately losing that game zero to four again, get shut out. No players of the game there. And then April 17th versus the Astros to finish out the series on Sunday, winning that one seven to two, mostly powered by first baseman Ty France, our player of the game there, going two for four with two runs and three RBIs. A middle of the game three run shot would really break this game open and help the Mariners uh, complete the series win over the Astros. Um, and so just, just a quick note before we continue over to players of the week. <sighs> You know, the, the Minnesota series is disappointing to lose that series, mm -hmm. right? I would have liked to win it, give, you know, given that second game, sure, but come back and win the third one. Couldn't do that. Chicago was really unfortunate because of how much wind played into that. Even in that game they won, it's the Windy City, right? And the, yes. the wind really played into some of those fly balls. Um, but if you're going to be a playoff team, right, and you want to win the division for the first time and God knows how long, I think it was <laughs> that early 2000s stretch, and, and you want to make the playoffs, you're going to have to win series and especially against good teams and especially against the top teams in your division. You did that here against Houston. You got to continue that. You, yeah. you know, by the time we reach the all-star break, you'll be done playing Houston, which is kind of weird, right? You'll be done playing a division rival by like mid season. Mid yeah. MLB scheduling. Don't get me started. Okay. <laughs> but you know, you got to win series. It's fine to drop a game here, you know, split a series here and there. That's fine. But if you want to make the playoffs and keep up with these other teams, 
like Toronto, you know, uh, like these other teams that have also added in the offseason, you have to, you have to win series. You have to split them. And, you know, especially against your divisional teams, you know, yeah. luckily I think you win your first game. Against, yes, you win your first game against a divisional team. Um, you can't, you can't fall into traps. Like you've got Texas here, uh, coming up next series and you, I don't care if you drop one of them, just win the series. You win more than you lose. You're mm-hmm. going to do well. Right. So yeah. that's that. Um, as we head over to players of the week here, bell, who did you, uh, we're, we're getting into the season here from where we started with this players of the week segment. So, uh, you, you went in direction, you went in a good direction, um, with Ty France here. Uh, wh- what did you see from Ty this week? Yeah, so you actually had him on the list of players of the game twice for this week. So that's a good sign. (laughs) Um, Ty France had 27 at-bats, 7 hits, 3 runs, 1 double, 7 RBI, 14 total bases, a 3BB, 0.259 average, 0.355 on bat percentage, 0.519 slugging percentage, and 0.873 on bat plus slugging percentage. And you went with... My pick of last week. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess we're kind of swapping Split, in a way. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, JP, I mean, both of these guys, right? Both of these guys, I, mean, I think we talked about it last week, are really going to be really important to this lineup. I mean, obviously, you've got to have success all the way down. You can't have too many guys that are under the Mendoza line uh, in terms of batting average. You're going to need to – you can't have an offense like you did last year. Like the last few years in offense, the Mariners have been under – like around the bottom of the league in like total batting average, which isn't good, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you want to make playoffs, you know, last year was great. It was miraculous. He had all these comebacks. That's fine. But if you really want to make it the year, like it's kind of been talked about, that's got to improve. And two of these, these two guys here have like really been catalysts of that. JP and 32 at bats, 11 hits, five runs, three doubles, one RBI, 14 total bases, six walks, unstolen base, a 355 batting average, a 500 on base percentage, a 452 uh, slugging percentage, resulting in a 952 on base plus slugging. I mean, JP's not a power guy, but he's going to be a guy that gets on base. And you can see that here. That's it's ele- uh, relevant. And that 355 average, I mean, I don't know how sustainable that is, but as long as you can kind of keep it in that neighborhood, that's, that's good. From a guy that's going to be near the top of the lineup, Ty France hitting second normally, and is a guy that, I mean, he's not going to be pumping out 40 home runs, but he's a guy that is really just a, a fluid hitter and is a really, like, natural hitter. Yeah. Um, and as a guy that, you know, last came in that Padres trade two years ago that keeps giving, and that's a whole other discussion. Um, but, yeah, these two guys, you know, really big parts of the infield defensively, um, but also offensively, they've been pr- producing as the season's begun. So I think you couldn't have gone wrong with either of these picks here. Agreed. So the unfortunate part of these uh, segments is always injury news. We head over to injury news. Uh, On the 13th, relief pitcher Sergio Romo was placed on the injury list with a shoulder injury. Uh, Romo, you know, just hit 800 appearances uh, the other day, uh, which is a nice accomplishment. I mean, 800 is a lot of games to be in. And that's just appearances, right? Not let alone like how many, I think 12, 13 years in the league. It's a lot. Um, and hoping, you know, we've already had injuries to this bullpen uh, with Ken Giles going out and suffering a setback, Casey Sadler out for the year. So hoping that that isn't too long of a stay on IL for Sergio. But also knowing that, you know, as a guy that's really experienced and has won, I believe, three World Series titles, 
as long as he's still around the clubhouse, he'll be able to influence that that locker room. So just again, hoping that that isn't too long of a stay. And then the other pretty significant one. Uh, I mean, you look at that seven to two win on Sunday, right? That came without outfielder oops, outfielder Mitch Hanniger, who was placed on the 16th on the COVID injury list, uh, missing a a minimum of five days. So that's kind of significant to look at. You know, a guy that has, I mean, had 40 home runs last year, I believe, and has a, a good amount of them already this year. You know, to be able to win the series against Houston without him uh, for, I believe, at least one of the games. Solid, but again, hoping for the same thing that Hanniger isn't out for a long period of time and that, you know, those minimum of five days is, is all he needs. And that doesn't mean exposure. That means he tested positive. I'm pretty sure he tested positive. Yeah. And the, not to get into it too much, but that was an issue last year with the Mariners is that not many of them were vaccinated. Mm-hmm. So that, again, plays into a whole role. And then I don't remember if we have to, I don't think we have to go into Toronto this year. We might have to, but if you're unvaccinated, you cannot play in Toronto. So, I mean, you go on the reserve list and then, yeah. So that's, you know, again, I've gotten my booster. I think I'm eligible for my second. You get that taken care of. Uh, Big O and Trey, Trey Holiday talked about that a little bit. They touched on that this morning in the morning update show. So that's, again, update yourself. Educate yourself on that. But yeah, so hoping that that minimum of five days is all he needs. In team-related news, on the 13th, as a corresponding move to Sergio Romo being sent uh, to the injury list, right-handed pitcher Matt Koch was recalled from AAA Tacoma as a responding move. Uh, And then on the 16th, as a corresponding move to Hanniger being placed on the COVID IL, infielder Donovan Walton was recalled from AAA Tacoma in a corresponding move. Uh, Also on the 16th, the team acquired right-handed pitcher Riley O'Brien from the Cincinnati Reds consider uh, in exchange for a player to be named later or cash considerations, considering that O'Brien was going to be designated for assignment. It probably won't be a valuable player to be named later. Not like a high pick, obviously, but just a little note that uh, O'Brien was born in Seattle. So Hmm. kind of a little homecoming for him. So congratulations to Riley O'Brien on that. As we head over to league notes, one major thing here that has sort of two sides to it on the 12th of April, um, Mariner, uh, Mariners, uh, San Francisco Giants first base coach Antoine Richardson uh, was ejected from the game. Uh, I believe they were playing the Padres uh, for for some comments that were made. Uh, Richardson stated that uh, Padres third base coach Mike Schlitt, who was actually the St. Louis Cardinals coach last year, uh, made some comments that Richardson stated felt reeked undertones of racism. Uh, sort of respond to that. Um, He's, he's uh, he for lack of better words, he said mother trucker called him. Hey, get that mother trucker off the field. Um, and Richardson kind of said, uh, you know, what did you just say to me? And the umpire rejected Richardson, which is kind of weird, you know, that you would yeah. eject him who I mean, hadn't said anything. Yes. Um, and I know that um, Giants uh, manager Gabe Kapler said we, you know, totally trust Richardson's judgment. We, you know, it's kind of weird that they would make that decision to eject him. But, you know, as it is, and I believe that the the Schlitt and uh, Richardson both talked about it in the game afterwards. But I don't know, kind of interesting behavior to look at. With that being said, what happened next would be historic as uh, the Giants' Alyssa Nakin became the first woman to coach on the field in an MLB game as she took over as the first base coach uh, in that game on Tuesday. So a historic barrier being broken 
but kind of sucks that that it was tied to a moment like that. Yeah. Um, but still historic. I mean, we we talked about uh, Rachel Balkovich, I believe, last week, mm-hmm. uh, making making some waves with the uh, Tampa Bay Tarpons uh, in the uh, Yankee system. Uh, but also see, nice to see that uh, Nick in here was able to make some history. It's unfortunate that it was able to that it was tied to something like that. So we head over to what we're looking at this upcoming week for the Mariners. Uh, two more. This is a long homestand. Uh, we got two more series here. Two more series here. Looking at um, this upcoming week. Uh, so the Mariners sit at a five and five record, third in the AL West currently. But you know, ten games into a 162 game season, not too worried about that. Um, they will take on the Texas Rangers April 19th at 1:10, April 20th at 6:40, um, and then April 21st uh, at 6. 40 as well. Um, and then April 22nd versus the KC Royals at 640. April 23rd versus the Royals at 610. And then April 24th versus the Royals at 110. So uh, again, we talked about winning series. You know, Texas is a team that still has a lot of holes. So I'd like to get that taken care of. Mm-hmm. Again, drop one game, sure. But move on from it. You know, win the two games, win the series. That's what matters most. And then the Royals. The Royals are a complicated group. And I'm not going to get too much into it because we've got to get to our storm. But again, just stick with winning series and moving on from there. Um, and then I want to make sure I, I made an, uh, a gaffe on these uh, time, start times. All of those games against the Rangers are 640 start times. So, um, wow. Not the, that first, that April 19th game is on a 110. They're all 640. That's my apologies. With that being said, like we were talking about last week with the WNBA draft, that took place and we're starting to look towards more of a training camp process for the storm here. So bell, uh, how did the draft go? What did we come away with and what happened? I mean, even before then, I mean, okay, so let's, let's go ahead and start with, like you said, the unfortunate news of our sections injury news. So on the 17th, um, Senator Mercedes Russell was treated for a non-basketball related injury on April 11th, 2022 and will miss training camp. Updates on her status will be provided prior to the start of the regular season. So that's a loss, a blow to the roster there. Um, Yeah, that's very unfortunate news. And moving on to the draft here, because I believe we did pick up, did we pick up a center? Yeah, yeah, yes. that first pick is a center. So first picked was Elisa Cunane, who was who is a center um, from NC State. She's six five. She averaged fourteen point eight points per game, seven point nine rebounds per game in four seasons with the Wolfpack, and was a WBCA first team All American in twenty twenty two. So um, I know we were looking at this last week, and we wondered what roles we needed the most, and of course, this Mercedes Russell news. Gives such an insight on what we might need to fill. Yeah, and it's interesting though because that the little piece there about um, non-bat. Well, I mean, a couple things from a non-basketball related injury. You know, that's seven days ago now. So, I mean, it's obviously a recent development that we really didn't have any idea about. And update on her status will be provided prior to the start of the regular season. So again, you know, it's it is tough with this the way that the WNBA rosters are set up, where you know you got limited spots. And you need expansion in this league. Um, but with with Russell maybe starting the year out on an injured list, Cunane here, you know, you, you, the number 17 overall pick might play her way onto the start the roster at the beginning of the yeah. year. 
and interesting to see how that plays out. But yeah, I mean, it, I guess it's kind of fortunate timing for her, but also unfortunate to suffer an injury at all. You know, so I, I, I'm interested to see what it actually is, because if it's non-basketball related, you know, it wasn't something I, I don't, I'm, I want to know the severity <laughs> and what actually yes. happened. Yeah, for sure. Um, we'll see when they give us that kind of information. Of course, I think we're all curious here. So hopefully we get some more insight and she recovers quickly. Um, our number 18 overall pick, the team selected Lorella. I'm going to have you say that last Kubage. Time. Okay, perfect. Kubaj out of Georgia Tech, then immediately trades her to the New York Liberty for the Liberty's 2023 second round pick. Um, with the t- number 21 overall pick, the team select Avina Westbrook, who is a guard. She played with UConn, averaged 9.2 points per game, 4.5 rebounds per game in two seasons. And she is from Oregon. Yeah, so some some ties there with Westbrook. You know, we talked about the point guard position and, you know, obviously you're kind of looking to the future like next year with this. Um, and we'll get to that with the next pick because mm-hmm. there's even more of a story with that. But with Westbrook, obviously the UConn lineage with the Storm. I mean, Sue Bird, uh, Kay Lou Samuelson last year, Gabby Williams, Brianna Stewart. There, there's some UConn history yeah. here in Seattle. Uh, but also being from the Pacific Northwest, kind of cool to see that she's, you know, kind of coming home. And I saw they had a they had a practice yesterday. She was the last person on the court getting shots up. So interested to see. Nice. I, I'd hope at some point that the WNBA does open up some more slots for a roster. Um, that I, it'll be really interesting to see who is able to fight for those last few spots on this year's roster. But yes, let's continue on. Uh, with our last overall pick in this our year's draft. last and number 33rd overall pick, the team selected point guard Jade Melbourne. She averaged 9.3 points per game and 1.2 assists per game for the UC Capitals during the 2021-22 WNBL season and represented Australia in the 2021 Asia Cup. Um, I think this is the player that we were discussing also that would not be participating this coming mm-hmm. season, correct? Yep. Yeah, so that's the thing with that. Uh, similar to Ezie Magbagor, who same thing was drafted from Australia when she was 19. Melbourne's 19. Uh, and from uh, from what we learned that she's not going to be playing in the in WNBA this year. Uh, I'm pretty sure the same thing happened. They said, hey, you know, we don't have the spot for you right now. Yeah. But with two guard spots clearing up next year, go ahead, play another year in Australia, continue to develop, continue to get better. And then come in next year. We'll have training camp. And, you know, we've, we've got potentially a spot for you. So I'm sure you'll see, you know, teams selected her. You'll see probably around the regular season that she was cut. I'm sure it was the same thing. You know, pick up the phone, say, hey, hey, you know, we need you to stay in Australia. Give me yeah. another year to develop. Then we'll worry about it next year. I'm sure it's the same thing that happened with Magma Gore. You know, and also another thing, another player there that, you know, stems with a sort of lineage there with the storm with Australia, Magma Gore, Lauren Jackson, Steph Talbot kind of. Mm-hmm. UConn and Australia kind of similar trends with the storm there. <laughs> so interesting to see that. But um, I know that with, you know, we look at the draft overall, you know, you look at two guards and then the trade, which the trade was kind of interesting to me. Uh, I don't know if you just didn't like that many players in the draft or you Save just one up. <laughs> yeah. And you just wanted to get a pick for next year. Um, I, from what I read, Cunane was a steal at 17. So I'm really interested to see, especially now with a spot maybe open to begin the season, uh, how she is able to really grasp that um, and make the most of that opportunity. That yeah. should be really interesting to see how that plays into it. Um, 
but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm not blown away with this draft, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, I don't think we anticipated being blown away, but I think we wanted some good pieces and hopefully that's what we'll develop here. So moving on to some more storm news here. On April 12th, there was schedule news. The storm will play a second and final preseason game on April 28th, and that will actually be an away game in Phoenix. Um, also related to Phoenix, the Storm are joining the Phoenix Mercury and the rest of WNBA to support Brittany Griner's heart and soul shoe drive. The team will be collecting donations of new and gently used shoes at their May 14th game versus Phoenix to benefit a Seattle nonprofit chosen by the players. Um, that was that, so good to read for me just because, of course, Brittany can't be here to do it herself yep. and so people backing up her cause or backing up her drive here um it really just shows a community yeah and to see together. the whole league like you said like the whole the rest of the WNBA yeah. to get involved with that is really good and it's unfortunate because it's every league it's like okay did something new happen with Brittany and we haven't seen anything I think in like a month there was um, nothing mind blowing. I think during before the draft, they mentioned the commissioner mentioned that she was doing good. But again, yeah, we're like, what does that heard mean? Several yeah. weeks ago, yeah. What does that mean exactly? How much progress has been made to bringing her back home? Uh, you know, I think you mentioned it maybe last week. We might have touched on it that the the representative or whatever in the U.S. is able to visit her, whatever, yeah. and that's fine. But that doesn't tell me how close she is to getting out of it. No, you know, coming back to the states. None right. of it. So, you know, all these, there, mm -hmm. there will be videos. I'm sure people say, oh, a Brit update on Brittany Griner. There's nothing going on. It's not really an update. It's There's just no more update. of the same. Yeah, update. And it's like, okay, she's, she's still in Russia. But no, to see that the Storm and the rest of the NBA are doing this and kind of, you know, keeping and that running. Like you said, as she's not able to do so, is, it's, it's, it's cool to see. And um, I'll try to bring some stuff over uh, when that game takes place on yeah. the 14th because, I mean, it's, it's again, like you said, it's a good cause. And on April 14th, the Storm signed three guards to training camp contracts, Reina Perez, Paisley Harding, and Jenna Giacone. Giacone. So wish them success and hopefully they can find a good, there's good spot here on the Storm. Um, moving on to league notes here on April 12th, it was reported that ESPN scored the most viewed WNBA draft since 2004, 403,000 viewers, which is up 20% um, from 2021. And the, it peaked at 463,000. So it's, it numbers. was, I mean, good to see the viewership, but I know that uh, as someone, I, you know, when we were sitting here editing the episode after uh, recording it and watching it, obviously, because to see who the storm picked, I just had it going on. And the troubling thing, Holly Rowe does a lot of coverage for women's sports. Uh, she does a lot of WNBA stuff. But the, the questions that were asked and just overall how it went could have been a lot better. Okay. Uh, it was a lot of like the, the, there were two main questions asked of just about everybody in the first round. It was uh, how did your parents help you get to where you are and how much of your success do you have to give to your parents, basically? And then. Talked about the kind of just kind of the the idea and well, I guess it's like a thing in news where you focus on someone's like hardships. It's like yeah. what what kind of bad things did you go through to get here? <laughs> it was like they asked everybody that, and it was like you got to come up with something, right? Yeah. You have all this time to prepare uh, for these players, right? And then in the third round, you know, there's three rounds, 
it's not like the NFL draft where there's seven, and then by the time you're in the seventh round, they're like letting dudes, people dance on the stage, and you don't know who's getting drafted. The third round, they weren't even calling the names. They were just talking over it, and then like on a little scroller on the bottom of the screen, it was like someone got picked. It was like, no. So that could have been done a lot better, and it's unfortunate yeah. that it wasn't. I just hope that it's uh, sort of a learning opportunity you know, for ESPN. Uh, it's great that it was hosted, obviously, but things could have been done better. But I, I just hope that, you know, for next year's draft that it's uh, they improve on some of these. things. Definitely. Um, I don't think that you can have blanket questions for different people, because, of course, you kind of want to tailor every question to that person. So that's unfortunate and agreed. I think organization and it being more like the NBA draft where it's the same thing for every player up until the end. You know, you don't have to question whether you're going to see someone go up there and receive their honors for being picked by a team. So that's unfortunate. Hopefully they are able to, like you said, learn from it and improve. And looking ahead for the storm, we have April 23rd against the LA Sparks. And that's here at Climate Pledge. Yep, six o'clock. Uh, you know, we looked at, you know, uh, Bell mentioned those three on training camp deals and the draft. I mean, this is a, you know, there's, I think we looked at it last week or two weeks ago. They're like, to me, there's like eight players of the 12 spots that you're going to get that probably have their spots secured. And I'd mm -hmm. be really surprised if those eight didn't. So that leaves four spots. And unfortunately now there's like 11 people fighting for four spots. <laughs> um, so it sucks because you wish you'd be able to send them down to like if the WNBA had a version of the G League or you had a few more roster spots. Like True. with the Seahawks, they have the uh, practice squad, have a practice squad. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be 11, obviously, but like five, two to five, three to five. Um, but this is a great opportunity. You know, it's a game, live reps. It's not like practice where you can go through drills. You got a live opponent where you can try to make the most of it. So, I mean, I wouldn't expect Subaru to play it very much at all. None Same of with the Stewie. Big three. Yeah. yeah. Just expect that. Maybe get in like 10 minutes and all right, let's come on. Let's go. Yeah. You got to get the rest of the girls in there. They got to, <laughs> the women have to prove themselves, prove themselves and fight for those spots. So, you know, you look at it as a preseason game, but this is, you know, in a crucial year, you know, where you're fighting to send, you know, one of the best players of all time out, um, your best player of all time, probably in history to on a, on a positive note this is a really critical you know training camp mm -hmm. to see who best is going to help your roster uh leading into regular season so it's it's important with that being said we continue over to our sounders and you talk about importance uh over the past week played two games one with a little bit more importance than the other um april 13th at new york city fc in the second leg of the Concacaf champions league semifinals uh, the Sounders advancing uh, four to two on aggregate, drawing the actual game one to one. But because they had the lead on aggregate, they will win and advance to play uh, Unam Pumas in the CONCACAF Champions League final. Uh, leg one of that final will take place on April 27th in Mexico City at 730 Pacific time. Um, and then leg two will be back here in Seattle on May 4th with a seven o'clock Pacific time. And I think uh, Lumen Field is almost sold out for that. So if you, wow. if, if they're not, yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a Wednesday game and that's still in May. Yeah. You know, so if, if there's tickets available still, I would Snag get on that. Them, yeah. Pause the video, go and take care of that right now. Um, but for that game uh, and that uh, advancement over New York City, our player of the game is goalkeeper Stefan Fry with an 8.1 match rating, seven saves. And, you know, you know, with all these uh, sort of advanced stats and metrics, 
uh, there's expected goals. And the New York was expected to have scored three goals and they only got one. So it kind of speaks to what Stefan Fry was able to do in goal. And then we look back here to the, uh, that Miami game, April 16th versus the entire Miami CF losing that game zero to one. That was just, <laughs> there's that Nashville game and the, uh, I believe it was Real Salt Lake game that the sound. So all three of the Sounders losses in, well, even in general, they haven't lost any other games this year outside of the ones in MLS. They haven't lost any of the games in uh, Champions League. Have all come, I think, off of like one zero defeats. And they're all just, this, the team looks kind of clunky. They're not able to get anything going offensively until it was too late. And the other team sneaks in a goal around the halftime mark. And it's just halftime mark or in the Nashville case late. And then it's you lose the game off of one cheap goal. Um, granted that you know you, you coming off a game three days earlier uh, against New York City that has much more importance mm-hmm. to you know compared to this time in the MLS season, uh, it was still kind of disappointing, right? You know, any game you're going to lose cheap, uh, you know, one zero to a team that you know was at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. It's unfortunate and it's frustrating. I know that Brian Schmetzer after the game said that those guys are pissed in the locker room. Yeah. You know, guys like Stephen Cleveland, who was playing that game after Stephen Fry played in the New York, New York game, uh, the one goal, you know, you're pissed about that. Um, but also I take into account, you know, this, the Sounders season stretches until I believe early October for mm-hmm. into the regular season. Uh, and they might've cut that down with the World Cup being this year. Um, but I'm not that entirely worried, you know, if we, once we get past champions league and regardless of you win that or not, if you're losing these games in like the summer, then I'll be concerned because by then you should sort of be focused on that. You should have guys mostly there. Uh, you might bring in some guys, uh, to replace guys who are going to be playing internationally. Um, those are when I'll be worried about these kind of losses. But yeah. now it's just kind of like, hey, you should be better than that. Mm-hmm. You should be better than that. Um, so with Miami coming back, a certain player that's uh, graduated from O'Day High School, the same school I graduated from, uh, re- made his return to Seattle. DeAndre Yedlin, uh, former O'Day High School graduate, Seattle kid, uh, played with the Sounders for a good amount of time earlier in his career, went over to uh, overseas, played a little bit in uh, in England and Europe, uh, played in Turkey, uh, and then came back to Miami most recently. On the 11th, Sounders general manager Garth Lagerway uh, spoke on trying to bring back DeAndre Yedlin, said that there had, the team has tried several times over the last few years to bring him back, uh, but ultimately the cost to bring him back uh, outweighed, uh, you know, who they already had on their roster. They didn't want to have to pay a ton out of pocket if they've already they're comfortable with who they had in the right back position. Uh, so I know that there's mutual interest on both sides to make that happen. And I know it'll probably happen here maybe in a few years. Um, but just with the way that the Sanders roster sits right now, they didn't want to have to give up too much uh, considering it would essentially be like a guy that you're going to rotate in and it's not like a significant boost to your roster. So glad to see Andre back in. I mean, you see here the photo of him after that Miami game with Brian Schmetzer and, shared some moments with other Sounders players, but uh, you know, it'd be great to have him back, especially with my bias, 
right? Um, but just interesting to note that you know the effort was made. It just the the the, the con the essentially yeah. outweighed the pro here. Um, on the 13th, it was announced as a result of the Sounders advancing to the Champions League final, uh, Seattle's match against Vancouver that was scheduled on the 30th of this month, which was a home match, uh, has been moved to June 14th, similar to that uh, Cincinnati match a, f- uh, a week or two ago. You know, with the Sounders continuing to advance in this tournament, other regular season games are being impacted. Uh, and then on the 14th, the general manager, Garth Lagerway, said that the World Cup Cities uh, announcement is supposed to come in mid-May. I know that Vancouver has been uh, stated as a potential city, which should only help Seattle's case. You know, mm-hmm. you have a couple other cities in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Seattle's, you know, C2026 campaign to have Seattle be a World Cup city is still around. Um, so we should find out about that coming up pretty soon. And that, again, would a big, this is going to be a big deal. You talk about the Mariners hosting the All-Star Weekend, All-Star Week here uh next year you know that's going to be a big deal but world cup is the world cup that yeah. is that would do a lot you know for bringing in people to this to the city in the area um and we're really really interested to follow that along once that comes in mid-may uh but continuing here the sounders now sit at a two win one draw three loss record in mls play uh sitting at 11th in the western conference uh, looking ahead, their next matchup is this Saturday, April 23rd at the San Jose Earthquakes with a 7 o'clock PSD start time. You know, I know that after the Miami game, uh, you know, they talked about the final a little bit, but they essentially said that our focus is on San Jose. You got to play the next one. You cannot look ahead to that final. So uh, we head over to the Calgary, well, Calgary. To our Kraken. To our Kraken. I'm <laughs> looking at something else here. Uh, to our Kraken here and uh, a relatively eventful week here. Uh, Belle, what do we got going on? Yeah. So on April 12th, actually, Maddie Benier's debut, which we didn't see coming. Um, we unfortunately had a loss three to five. The player of the game for that game was Adam Larson. One goal, one point, one plus minus three shots on goal, one hit and three blocks. On April 13th, they were supposed to play the Winnipeg Jets and that got postponed due to a snowstorm that was set to, I think, break records for one of the worst snowstorms, so or winter storms. So that was postponed to May 1st. On April 16th, they played the New Jersey Devils and that was a win on a win four to three on an OT shootout. And the player of the game is Maddie Beniers with one goal, 1.3 shots on goal, two hits, one block, one takeaway. And, of course, scoring his first career NHL goal. Yeah, so, you know, would have thought that game would have been his debut, yeah. but they kind of threw him into it right away. I mean, he's still in game shape coming off of uh, Michigan playing in the Frozen Four. Uh, I'm not mad at it. I'm not necessarily no. mad at it. I was just like, hey, maybe they'll give some caution. Uh, Beniers, I mean, he got his first in his first career game there against Calgary that we looked at, uh, recorded his first point. He had an assist on Ryan Donato's goal. I think that was the first goal of the match, match of the game. <laughs> uh, that Winnipeg game obviously postponed, so we can't really look at that. Um, and then that game against the Devils, his first home game, uh, you know, the score's first goal, I believe it was in the second period to put Seattle up three to two. Uh, it was that it's, it's incredible, you know, whether, however it comes, doesn't matter. You know, the two points, uh, in two games is pretty solid for a guy that's a rookie. And, you know, I know the team has said he's kind of undersized, you know, and and I think not height wise, six, one, he's taller than a good amount of the other guys on the team. Uh, but you know, it's like, 
with the NBA, right? This Chet Holmgren guy probably needs to bulk up a little bit. Yeah. Give give veneers like an off season with the training staff. I'm sure you know. Add that to yeah. his his skill. You're priming him up for some really good success. So you know, with with the new prospects that we've got in this city, you know, last year with Kelnick being called up, Rodriguez being called up this year, uh, some other rookies that we'll get to here in the rain segment. Um, it's exciting and it's interesting. You know, you, you just hope that all of these these players are able to be successful and that you know not too much pressure is put on them. But it's always really cool when they have these special moments. You know, Julio had that uh, in that second game, I believe, against Minnesota. Oh, wait, no, they won the series against Minnesota. I apologize. They lost the last game. Um, you know, had the his first career hit was a leadoff double in the top of the ninth. That's a big moment. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, had his first career RBI, uh, I believe it was, it was in that 11 to 1 win um, against the Astros. You know, Kalnick has had some uh, in that uh, Oakland series last year, the second to last series, had a big double um and late in september you know these are important series that he's playing right and then veneers two goals and two points obviously you're not going to the playoffs but making an impact already is really cool to see that mm-hmm. so uh nice to see that and exciting to follow that as we continue to end the season here so uh with that being said um you know, no injury news, no team no. news. What are we looking at? We do uh, have for the, some team news. I guess oh, it could be. It, yeah, yeah, it's you're team right. news, right? Yep. Yeah. So relatively new, <laughs> but yeah, some some important stuff going um, on there. Yeah. This morning we found out that we have a couple of new minority investors for the Seattle Kraken, and that is Macklemore and Marshawn Lynch. So that's exciting news. Um, Macklemore said that they just how great the turnout was with the fans and the support that they had for the Kraken in the inaugural season, it made him want to be a part of it. And of course we know that Marshawn's always involved in the community. So why wouldn't he, you know, why wouldn't he want to be a part of yeah. this? So. And you know, w- w- to look at on the football aspect, I know that when he retired it, Oh, it's, you know, it sucked obviously, but then we go into the Oakland, there were some people and it's, not, not a majority of it. Like, oh, he went back to Oakland. What about Seattle? That's his hometown. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where he's from. Uh, but it was interesting to note he had a couple of quotes. I mean, the first one, the one I liked the most was, as a young hyena, I never yeah. imagined playing on a pro team, owning one is something special. So this is a big deal, obviously, for him, right? He's always been a guy. I remember watching, like, documentaries about him uh, or, like, how he saved his money, you know, mm-hmm. and didn't didn't cash any of his game checks or any of his NFL money he worked on like sponsorship money. Um, so to do that and be smart about his money after that playoff loss to green Bay, when he came back, talked about uh, taking care of the mental aspect of it and taking care of your money, use different word, obviously mm-hmm. uh, taking care. <laughs> uh, I think he said, though y'all chicken, which is, I mean, I like chicken, so I'm not going to disagree <laughs> with that. Um, yes. But to see him, you know, take part in that is really cool to see. And I will, we'll put up this picture of them and Ma- him and Macklemore up there. Um, but I know also Marshawn said that, you know, he's not going anywhere. He's here to stay, you know, and taking ownership in a team here in Seattle certainly says that I know he had a merchandise store up here in Seattle. I know mm-hmm. with the pandemic that had to close, unfortunately, but to see both of these guys who, you know, in different ways have been in touch with the city be part of a team in the city means a lot. You know, any investor with a lot of money from somewhere else, sure. But it, when it's someone that's... In the, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. When they have influence in the city and they've played a part in the history of the city, 
it, it's cool to see, you know, yeah. like with when Russell Wilson was here, having ocean ownership with the Sounders was cool to have a Griffey now being, uh, I think it was in the uh, last off season being having some ownership stake with the Mariners, you know, seeing these guys come back and just be a part of this, continuing to be part of the city is, is really cool to see. So good and catching me on that. Yeah. That was, that was right now, right <laughs> news this morning. Um, and it's also really interesting to see in the, at tonight's game, we'll try to talk to Macklemore a little bit about it, but, with that being said, what do we have here uh, coming up this upcoming week for the hockey team? Upcoming week, we have an 18, April 18th game versus the Ottawa Senators at 7 p.m. An April 20th game against Colorado Avalanche at 7 p.m. as well. An April 22nd away game at Minnesota Wild at 5 p.m. And an April 23rd at Dallas Stars, another 5 p.m. game. So, yeah, I mean, you sit there at a 24 win, 44 loss, six overtime loss record with 54 points. But I know that uh, with the victory over the Devils, excuse me, I'm pretty sure that you're, you cannot be the worst team in the league. I think that Arizona might beat you to that. So that's <laughs> kind of cool to see that and know that you're not going to be in the basement of the entire league sure. itself. So uh, we'll continue over here to our old Rain, who played two contests over the past week, both of them uh, being at Lumen Field there. Um, April 14th versus the San Diego Wave, a 3-1 to one win. Player of the game midfielder, Nikki Stanton, who is a, uh, I believe it's North Bend native uh, here in Washington, scoring one goal, one shot, and sustaining one foul. That is her first NWSL goal in her career. So congrats to Nikki on that. In that 3-1 to one win, all three of the rain goals were scored in the first 11 minutes of the match, which was an NWSL record, uh, but the um, on the 6th, no. Yes, on the 16th, that record would be broken uh, by, I believe it was the North Carolina Courage scoring three goals in nine minutes. So cool little moment there to have for a second. And then April 17th, playing against Angel City FC, winning that game two to one to the game. And Kent native Washington Husky uh, midfielder Olivia Vanderyat scoring one goal on one shot. Uh, the game winner. In the 94th minute of the match, so the final minute of extra time, this game, you know, was knotted up tight. And, you know, uh, Seattle scored the first Seattle. Yeah, Seattle <laughs> scored the first goal uh, around the 30th minute mark. You know, good to get that uh, early lead. Uh, trying to hold on to that. Angel City comes and scores a goal in the 81st minute. You think, oh, we're going to go into this game. We're going to get a draw against Angel City, who has not won a game in Challenge Cup, lit Cup yet. They had a bunch of losses and one tie, but they had not had any wins. Um, and then Vondiat was able to get a header in. And like I said, the last minute of extra time to win it, it was, it was a pretty special moment, which capped off a pretty special week. And we'll, we'll look at that a bit, a little yeah. bit later in the week in the, in the segment. Um, but it was really cool to see that. So the, the rain remain undefeated in challenge cup play with one game left to play and have secured a uh, semifinal. They've got a ticket to the semifinal in the Challenge Cup, which is a little bit uh, troublesome because the semifinal matches, there's going to be two of them played, take place on May 4th, which, you know, because the rain secured a spot on the semifinal, they'll have a home match. Sounders play that yeah. second leg of CONCACAF Champions League on May 4th at 7. Against the Pumas. So we'll, that's, it's above my pay grade. I don't have to figure that out, luckily. <laughs> but we'll be really interested Hopefully to see how the league out. sort of plays around that. Maybe they move it to a day before. We'll, we'll keep you covered on that. We'll take a look on that. 
Uh, we hit over to injury-related news. Uh, so the match reports, nothing nothing too significant, uh, but the match reports are interesting to look at. Uh, on April 13th, the match report for the next game, next day game against San Diego, uh, Angelina was out with a right ankle, and Megan Rapino continues to be out with a right calf injury that she's nursing. Uh, in a press conference, Rapino essentially said that her focus is regular season. So she's sure. not too worried about Challenge Cup at the moment. She's just trying to build back to regular season. So if you're worried about Pino, don't be. Yeah. Um, and then so you'll notice this questionable list is long. It's because most all these players are coming back from international games, mm-hmm. offshore rest. So Quinny was out, uh, Jess Fishlock, Alana Cook, Sofia Huerta, Rose Lavelle, and Jimena Lopez, who is lovingly nicknamed Jimmy by the team. Um all were questionable for that match against San Diego. And then on the 17th, in that game against San Diego, Ziara King had to come out with an ankle injury. The extent of that is not known. I know that head coach Laura Harvey said it's not as bad as they expected it to be. So that's okay news, mm-hmm. but it depends on how bad you expected it to be. So right. still expecting news on that. But with that said, the match injury report against Angel City uh, that came out the day before, uh, Angelino is out with that right ankle still. Ziara King out with the right ankle as well. And then Megan Rapino with the right calf. But also interesting to note, about 30 minutes before game time, I was alerted to the fact that Rose Lavelle was out of that match with an illness. Mm. So interested to note that because, so for example, Angel City, uh, Angel City's Kristen Press, who's their best player by far. Um, a few days before that match, they found out that she had been, she was questionable with, a non-COVID illness, which tells you it's not supposed to be COVID. Okay, you're following me, right? <laughs> oh, the next day she would be ruled out with COVID. Oh my gosh! So I'm hoping that Rose Lavelle is not dealing with the same sort of situation. Yeah, but we don't know, and we will continue to keep you updated uh, when we find out about that. So uh, we'll continue on with team news here on the 11th. The Oil Reign signed draft picks Ryan Brown and Marley Canales as national team replacement players. So getting them signed is good, but they're not getting, you know, a full contract like some of the other players have got. With that being said, on the 16th, the team signed draft pick Marley Canales through the 2022 season. So instead of having her be a national team player, replacement player is still on the roster, but not, you know, fully guaranteed. I think uh, Canales gets a deal through the 2022 season. And it speaks to, you know, obviously what she's shown to the coaching staff. Um, hasn't been able to get into a game yet in the Challenge Cup, but I believe. Um, but really interested to, you know, see that because having them on the roster, you know, again, if, if she's getting a deal through the season, obviously kind of speaks to what she's shown the mm-hmm. coaching staff, Laura Harvey, Sam Lady, uh, and what they've been able to see. So with that being said, the Reign now hold a four win, one draw record. No losses on the Challenge Cup so far. Um, they will play one last Challenge Cup match in group play as the, the Reign sit at first in the Western Division. Uh, that game is April 23rd down in San Diego against the Wave with a seven o'clock start time. Uh, like I said, the, the Reign have already secured a semifinal match. And that should be a home match. But also considering the fact that both of those home matches are supposed to be played on the fourth, uh, kind of makes things interesting. So yeah. we'll be interested to keep an eye on that. Heading over to our Seattle Seawolves here, who played a crucial Western Conference match against their rivals, the San Diego Legion, down in Starfire Sports Complex on April 16th, the day where basically everything, everything. happened. Um, Seattle would be able to pull out a win 34 to 32. They were able to hold off San Diego's late comeback attempt. I believe around the 70th minute, it was 34 to 18. I think, okay, wow. you're going to be able to. I could be wrong on that. You know, you're able to pull that out. 
San Diego tries to make it close. Uh, and the Seawolves, the Seawall defense, able to hold that up, get a stop, finish that game out. What's interesting to me in looking at the game, San Diego missed three of their conversion kicks. That would have put them over if they had. Obviously, you know, if you make those kicks throughout the game, I'm sure it impacts the game as a whole. Mm-hmm. But comes back to bite you. You know, oh, yeah. our player of the game for this one, fly half, AJ Alatimu, going perfect on his kicks, goes two for two on penalty kicks and four for four in conversions. Kind of interesting compare and contrast to me to see Alatimu go perfect. And then San Diego, you know, miss those kicks and have an impact on that game. Because San Diego is right below, uh, I think they're one point ahead now of the Seawolves in the standings. Um, still. Okay. Yes, still. Um, but every game, you know, after that loss last week to New England, which was tough because you're playing the team that leading the MLR and an overall record, every game going forward is crucial and now even more so. You know, you're one, you're one point below third place in the league, in the Western Conference, pardon me, and one point ahead of fifth place. Mm. So it's really neck and neck. Yeah. And um, I mean, I've, I've talked about this throughout the season. I really believe that if Seattle is able to correct a few things, you know, get more consistent offense, which they started off the first half with three tries. They're able to get three of those on the board in the first half. Solid. And then turnovers, being able to take care of those turnovers, make sure that you're you know, careful with the ball and not losing these good possessions to a turnover late should be fine. And, you know, outside of almost allowing a comeback attempt, they were mostly able to do so. But it, it's not going to get any easier. You're going to play rematches against Austin, who leads the Western Conference or is near the top of it. Same with L.A. and Houston. All of those teams are fighting for a playoff spot. You're going to play... Um, New York, who is also fighting for a playoff spot just over in the Eastern Conference. So you're not going to just get an easy way to sort of roll out the home stretch. And even this next game that they play against Utah, Mm -hmm. Utah's two and seven. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to fall into that and be a trap. So important to really be on top of everything as the season continues here. Um, But in team-related news, uh, team signed loose forward Andrew Duratalo, he will join the Seawolves through the season, has been with the organization in uh, in prior years. So Seattle continues to sort of uh, make change with the roster and continues to add pieces here with injuries and how physical of a sport rugby is. I'm sure it's good to have that depth. Um, but like I said, looking ahead, you, every one of these matches going forward is going to be important and is really critical to your success if you, you want to secure a playoff spot because the West is, is – I hate using this trope. The wild, wild west. I mean, it's it's not <laughs> going to get any easier for you. So with that being said, the Seawolves' next matchup uh, after they sit at a 5-5 five and five record, fourth in the Western Conference with 27 points. And I could check that. There could have been a match on Sunday, but I highly doubt that. Like I said, the standings are really – it's neck and neck. Um, so we will take a look at that really quick. Uh, so New England, yeah, on the other side of it sits at the top. Um, Austin sits at first and 38 points. LA sits at second with 33. San Diego sits at third with 28. Seattle sits at fourth with 27. Houston at fifth with 26. So you see those five teams, granted anything crazy, could fight it out against each other. Then you're going to have to play three of them, three of those five to end the season. And I believe those three contests are going to be on the road. And every point counts. Every you're not, you're not kidding. Me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that match against Utah is at seven o'clock that will be down in Utah. Um, and now we get to introduce our new segment, which is Seattle star of the week. 
Uh, Belle, why don't you take it away with uh, something that we looked at, sort yeah. of not necessarily a current player, but making an impact in the area. Well, had I been aware of the uh, investor news this morning, I would have brought some Skittles to share. <laughs> but that being yeah. said, um, my pick of the week was Marshawn Lynch um, because of him staying just right in the middle of the community, making sure that he makes an impact still here. And like you said, he's from Oakland, went back to Oakland, but consider Seattle enough of a home that he is wanting to stay with the community and wanting to make an impact. So with the Kraken, he's going to work on community events for the youth and then for um, activists, I believe, community activism. So yeah, so he's um, making a difference still and very much appreciated. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, considering on some stuff that we've worked on in the in behind the scenes, would be interesting to see what we could do with that. Um, won't say much, uh, but yeah, no, that's a great pick. I mean, that's really interesting to hear what he has to, what he'll be involved in, and excited to see that because Marshawn. I mean, if you followed him at all through a Seah- if you properly followed him through a Seahawks tenure off the field, a guy that is really community driven, very involved. Uh, even I remember a few years ago, he was in Hawaii giving up turkeys. <laughs> yes, I remember I was that. like, what is Marshawn doing? You know, spreading the wealth. So, uh, yeah, no, that definitely a solid pick. And it's what we want to embody with this segment. Not only, you know, someone who, you know, goes out, scores a lot of goals, mm-hmm. hits a lot of home runs, doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It's just sort of their story. And I like how you went with that there. Mm-hmm. Um, mine's like, I, I'm not, not going to compare it, but. Uh, I went with sort of hometown kid, Olivia Vanderyat. Uh, so started her first two games in the NWSL this this uh, this past week, that Angel City game and that San Diego game. In her first two starts, has an, so similar to Maddie Veneers, had an assist and a goal, like we talked about with that game-winning goal. From Kent, you know, that game that she started uh, against Angel City on Sunday, wasn't even supposed to start it because it would have been Rose Lavelle, but with illness, Vanderyat steps into that role. Um, it's it's. I want to go over her story really quick. Mm-hmm. You know, she's from Kent, goes to play at Washington, leads the program in most games ever played as a Husky with 88. Um, with the COVID year, you give it a fifth year, whatever. Still, to play all those games is incredible. Didn't even know if she was going to enter her name in the NWSL draft. Did not know. Wow. Did not know. And I remember at the last game of the season for UW, it was against Washington State, and I saw head coach Laura Harvey there, and I was like, "What are you? Who are you scouting? What are you doing?" Because UW has another really talented player in Summer Yates, and I thought it would have been Summer who entered the draft. Summer said, "No, I'm coming back for a year." Mm-hmm. Olo goes to the draft instead. Um, gets drafted by the Rain. Gets to stay at home. She talked. I talked with her in an interview I did with her about you know being able to go to Memorial and the Rain played there. You know how special it is that the rain will be playing here in Seattle now, and just it was it was really cool to see that someone who's really sort of taken the most of our opportunity. And I remember, you know, in in Converge here in the in the Black Media Matters studio, I did my first sort of in person interview with Olivia Sakani, her teammate at UW. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was texting Liv about it, and she said Olo, her uh, Vander Yacht's nickname, the kindest person that it could happen to when she got drafted. Um, and said she'd be great to talk to and she was and she's been really kind through all of it and it's been really I mean I'll work on it here in a sec but just to see the overall outpouring of support that she was able to get you know um, 
after the success that she's had. Yeah. Um, it was it was really impressive to see that. And it was just really exciting to um, sort of just see everything that took place with it. So it's it's, you know, like we said, it's I don't really want to sit here and just want this to be about um, who did the best stat wise and this and that just kind of the story and the buildup to these moments, you know what I mean? So uh, really cool to see that. And I don't have the video here, but there's a really cool photo of head coach Laura Harvey and uh, assistant coach Sam Lady uh, following that that goal here to win that game against Angel City. And we'll throw that up here right about, and I have to wait for it to vote very conveniently. <laughs> now. Right now, you can, I mean, just uh, there's a video to it where Harvey runs from the sideline and jumps into one of the coach's arms and was really <laughs> pumped about it. it. It was an exciting moment. So no, really cool to see that. Um, and that will wrap up Seattle star of the week. Yeah. So we've got a, again, full weeks for you added Seattle star of the week. Uh, the rain is back. So be careful about that. Thank your editors as always. So I'm on behind the camera, you know, doing everything lighting wise, you know, with our names down here, it's, we, uh, I think we got set up pretty well having Salman behind the I camera. I don't think we deserve him. Well, <laughs> I want to be too nice. Uh, you know, with that being said, uh, things will continue to be busy. You know, the Kraken have a game tonight. Uh, be sure to follow us on social medias, Instagram, uh, Circling Seattle Sports, Twitter, Circling Sports, Facebook, Circling Seattle Sports. You don't have to wor worry about an at on there. If you just put in Circling Seattle mm -hmm. Sports, you'll find us. Up-to-date news, you know, we, we love doing the show, obviously. But if you follow us on social, get you more up-to-date on there. You know, we got more content coming for you. Working on different sun always. We're excited to see you, you know, through the year. You know, at T-Mobile at Park, we'll be there. Climate Pledge Arena Pledge. for the different games. Lumen Field, uh, Starfire Sports, all this different stuff. We'll be there, you know, whether it's me or Bell. You know, we're working on that. A lot of different <laughs> stuff coming for you. So with that being said, take care of yourself. Be well and do your best to make today a great okay. day. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media. <laughs>